Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is a podcast from The Times. Go to thetimes.co.uk. Hi, I'm Gabriel Marcotti, and you have wisely downloaded The Game, the football podcast that has to try and make sense of another week in the Wild West of the Premier League. As much as I'd love to hit this writing solo, guns a-blazing, and just deliver 60-minute monologue, which is my forte, I need some deputies to help me out. So I've rounded up both Smiths, Ben and Rory, as well as, from the Great Peak District, it's Peter Lansley. So let's remove the ladies from the saloon, and let's roll. Okay, uh, we're going to start at Old Trafford. Um... There's obviously plenty to talk about on this show, but I want to start with a very minor self-contained point. I don't know if there's any legal minds here. I don't like lawyers myself, um, but I was just struck by something. The Red Issue fanzine uh, before the game, it, I haven't actually seen it. Has anybody seen it? Yeah. I've seen the cover, yeah. Okay, can you, can you describe, will you stop fiddling the papers? You have one with you, do you, Ben? A contraband copy. It's in there. It's a, there's a copy of it in the game today. Um, can you can you do, can you describe it, Roy? It's a it's a black background with a white hooded front, uh, which says LFC Suarez is innocent, I believe. Okay, so the police decided to confiscate it because it incited racial hatred. Um, everybody in agreement that this was a good idea, and we need uh, the police to go and confiscate satirical. Publications. I was to say, I don't quite get how it incites racial hatred. I can, I could vaguely understand if there was they, they thought it was generally incendiary and unnecessary. It would still be harsh. Yeah, I think well, it featured a cut out and keep KKK mask on the front. So I think the idea was that fans would cut this out, put it on their heads, and wear it during the game. So I think if that had been the case, that might have caused problems. Lansley. Yeah, it, it, well, it's outrageous. It, and I, I think it becomes a, a civil matter, and the police have got to get involved. Yeah. So you, you you think the police were justified? Yes, I do. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Um, I, 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 I think it's like it speaks for itself. I think it's terrible if we're entering those waters. All right. Well, um, I, I guess we'll, we'll postpone this uh, discussion to the uh, um, free speech podcast well, one day and, I mean, and debate the aspects of it. Yeah, um, I mean, we can't be seen to be, yeah. you know, stifling free speech. But I think if there comes a point where, you know, you have fans wearing masks in a game that is already explosive, right. that might add to the situation. As the it's, it's, a very, then, it's a very interesting debate. Uh, for my part, I'm a free speech, pretty close to free speech absolutist. I think satire should be well beyond the remit of, of censorship. But um, unfortunately, so much other stuff happened this weekend. So let's move on quickly. Um, 
Okay, now I'm just going to try to piece together what we know. Um, and if I say something that's incorrect, please jump in and correct me. Um, Luis Suarez had told Kenny Dalglish that he would shake Patrice Evra's hand. Uh, he goes out there. I'm assuming we all agree that it was Suarez who did not shake his hand despite the conflicting videos which appeared on. I mean, that certainly looked like that to me. So, first and foremost, this is a case of Luis Suarez agreeing to do something um, with his manager and then at the final minute deciding not to follow his manager's instructions. Now, I think this is really, really, really bad and disrespectful towards Liverpool and towards Kenny Dalglish. Am, am I wrong? Yeah, I think that's fair. He, he obviously had agreed to do it. And then we, we don't know whether it was a spur of the moment thing or whether he, he deliberately misled Kenny Dalglish. I suppose the easiest thing to think is that it was spur of the moment. He sort of saw Evra and decided that he didn't really fancy it. And no, it is. It's true. There's no question that it's a, it was a moronic thing to do from Suarez. I think it's dangerous to start eliding the handshake with the original offence to start pretending they're as serious as each other. I don't think they are. Um, well, but they're serious was, in different ways. Well, one's a discourtesy. One's sort of an accusation of racial, of racial no, abuse. No, no, I'm not so much interested in the discourtesy uh, towards Evra, which obviously it was, mm. and, and that's one factor. But when you have a manager on a very sensitive matter like this, with the world going out of his way to tell you, shake his hand before the game, let's draw a line under it. I know some people criticized uh, Doug Leash on Monday for saying, you know, reiterating that he should have never been banned. But as of Friday, I saw an interview with Doug Leash where he says, said, you know, he's done, you know, let's draw a line under it, let's move on. So there was obviously this intent then from, from the club mm-hmm. to make sure that Suarez at least went through the motions of shaking the hand and they could move on. And he deliberately went against what the club, his employers, told them to do. Yeah, I think that's a serious aspect to this. I agree with Rory in terms of shaking someone's hand in terms of the, the Premier League and the, the the kind of ticking a box that that is now is, is not a serious matter. But betraying your manager in the way he did and the club is a serious matter. It's made it made a fool of Dalglish after the game and and it, it made you know it made an already explosive situation into something far worse. And he he I mean the story went yesterday that he somehow thought Evra was going to snub him and therefore got his retaliation in first. Which is an incredibly stupid thing to do because he comes out looking like an idiot and he's making himself something of a prior in the English game which is a real shame for someone who's got so much talent it's a strange strange thing with Suarez having met him and interviewed him he's this is an easy sort of trite observation to make but he's a, he's a lovely bloke when you speak to him away from the pitch I, I, my personal interpretation and this is not based in any evidence whatsoever is th- that it was again a psych- an attempt to sort of win some sort of psychological battle with Everett to gain an advantage I think that's what Suarez is past career sort of suggests he was probably trying to do right. like the psychological battle he uh, he won when he bit uh, Altman Bacal yeah I mean that's I think biting someone wins a battle right. Gab we all know that <laughs> clearly but uh, no, man, it's, it, it, as you say it is dangerous to st- it, what what he's done is undermined our relation he's, he's kind of lost any goodwill that people even Liverpool fans maybe should have had for him and it's it's very strange to try and sort of tally up that character with the character who you actually meet when you meet Luis Suarez which, who, who is nothing like that it's very it's a real sort of Jekyll and Hyde thing it's quite interesting psychologically Lansley do you, are, are you buying this this Jekyll and Hyde thing I mean is there is there a real Suarez or are these two two sides of the same Suarez have you come across footballers uh, like this before yeah oh, I suggest he is very two-faced isn't it and uh, well you get that don't you you do get 
two-faced people, unfortunately. And if they have two faces, one of which is very nice. Sorry, Lanzi, Lanzi, two-faced, to me at least, has very negative connotations. Jekyll and Hyde, which is the term uh, Rory used, is slightly kinder. But you're going with the two-faced. Yeah, I I think Jekyll and Hyde is ultimately not a very nice uh, individual because it suggests there's two sides to your personality and you can only go by the weakest link, can't you? If, you, if you're capable of being that horrible, then the nice face that you can put on in an, in an interview is only superficial. You have to be judged by the weakest link, don't you? Ben, um, what will Doug Leash do, in your opinion? And what should he do, in your opinion? Uh, there's a lot of suggestion this morning um, that they plan to sell Suarez in the summer and as we understand it that isn't the case I think there is a feeling that Suarez can make up for this and try and um, patch things up. Both he did apologise. He of has apologised. Yeah, undeservedly, uh, I think. Yeah, and, and I think Dalglish will talk to him this week again. I think there will be a series of meetings between the club and Suarez, Dalglish and Suarez. They've got to get that trust back between player and manager. I mean, I think that that's going to have hurt the relationship. But I don't think it's beyond repair, and I don't think Dalglish has any intention of, of binning this player. Well, maybe it's more trust between manager and player, given that Dalglish has gone to the wall for this guy. Yeah, sure. I think everyone at Liverpool has. To to, to look at the way they've behaved over this. Suarez is the obvious, the, the ultimate culprit. He's the one who's caused it. Dalglish has been far too belligerent and aggressive in the way he's tried to handle it. He's it, Dalglish who's driven the defence, the way the club have handled the entire affair, and that's what's dragged the club the club through the mud as much as Suarez's original offence. It's Liverpool's inability to accept any culpability. I think the frustration for a lot of people, if you look at Sir Alex Ferguson's the way he dealt with the Evera celebration, which I know wouldn't have come on to. Ferguson said, yeah, he shouldn't have done that. L- Liverpool should have taken a much more conciliatory approach while still defending Suarez. The th- what the handshake revealed is that Suarez clearly doesn't think he's done anything wrong. He has that right. He doesn't have to think he's done anything wrong. Uh, the FA have clearly failed to educate mm. him and what have you. But Liverpool's response has been so, yeah, one-sided, so black and white that it's, it's sort of not brought to any room for debate and that's been really dangerous. I think <laughs> everyone at Liverpool has to to look at the way they've they've handled the yeah the, I, t- I totally the agree with Rory. I think from the t- from the very start of this process there's been the attitude has been wrong I mean that they felt hard done by which is right. which if they genuinely feel that yeah. Suarez is innocent you can understand that but unfortunately that has been perceived as a kind of an arrogant and, and as Rory says a belligerent approach that's right. gone from top to bottom from Dalglish all the way through to the owners who have said very little or, or well, nothing until this point and I think that has um, has reflected badly on Liverpool the I felt bad for Dalglish in the, in, in, in the post game um, with, with Jeff Shrees obviously from, as a journalist I don't think he behaved appropriately but by the same token it struck me as a guy who you know been back in management a year after 11 years away out of the game I don't think you would have ever conceived you could have conceived the fact that he would one day have to be dealing with this kind of crap you know not not as a player not as when he managed Liverpool in, in the late 80s and I mean I, to me he just he just looked shaken and, and I had a bit of sympathy for him um, one man who did not look shaken uh, who looked in control as ever was um, was Sir Alex after the game Lansley um, I mean Roy pointed out that you know, he put the boot into to Suarez, which, fair enough, he's doing his job as manager. It's also rightly, um, some might say cleverly, um, criticized Evra for his excessive celebration at the end. I, I think um, Evra should and will get dealt with by the FA for his excessive celebration. Maybe he'll get a match ban, whatever. Um, I don't know, what, what did Gary Neville get? Can you remember when he celebrated excessively down the touchline? 
a four thousand pound fine, I think, but, but not he's about. Neville, yeah. Okay, so so I think that is you know that's a sanction that is warranted. But Suarez's crime, if you like, his um, his snub has to be taken in the context of the original offence and the eight match ban, and it goes far far deeper. And it also sparked everything that went on afterwards. On the game, um, I thought. It was actually closer than most people think. Most people, I, most accounts I've read is that United uh, wiped the floor with Liverpool. But in the end, though, I thought it was, you know, Liverpool didn't play really well, but it was 2-1, and De Gea made a great save in the end. I want to get you guys on De Gea's second straight week that De Gea, you know, saves the bacon. Um, those are three extra points that United have in the table that they wouldn't have otherwise. They'd be, what, five back from City. Um, is this De Gea coming on, or is it De Gea still with... Is it the same to his before? Basically, we knew he could make those great saves, but we knew also that you know he had potentially some other some other weaknesses. Ben, I think it is ex- exactly that. I think he's made a couple of fantastic saves that will breed confidence in him, which is what he's been desperately short of. And and I think as he settles into England, as he feels more part of the team, if he can make saves and contribute in that way, I think he'll only improve. I think he's still susceptible to those small mistakes, but if he can keep making those big match-winning saves or winning points here and there, it's going to help him. He's going to settle. I, think, I agree with Ben. I think when he came from Spain, the issue in Spain with him was that he was dodgy on long-range shots. His foot positioning on long-range shots isn't right, so he doesn't get the right spring, which means he, he will get beaten by, by long-rangers as he was by Jekyll in his first game in English football and has been since. The fact that he's improved that to stop Glenn Johnson's shot and the, the one at Chelsea suggests that he's working on that uh, the issue I'd have with De Gea is I think that the way that Liverpool played him in the FA Cup game just making men stand next to him means that he will throughout his career concede goals from set pieces I think mm. he, the, what has happened in the first six months will influence his, the rest of his career in England so over at Goodison Everton and Chelsea another defeat for Chelsea um, will be talking some some those boas in a minute but um uh, peter i wanted to get you on everton because i'm sort of fascinated uh, you, you know i i know you're you're a big fan of uh, um of, of star trek voyager and how they have a doctor and he can only exist on the hologram uh, as a hologram when he's on the when he's in the um medical bay and when he goes somewhere else he kind of disappears i need to explain to me how is it that pinar can be at spurs under harry and never get a game and you know Harry right now most people would agree possibly the best English manager by the same token Louis Saha can be at Everton under uh, Davy Moyes who most of us agree you know he's not the best Scottish manager for obvious reasons but he's a very good manager and then these guys just kind of sort of swap places and all of a sudden they're both very very good what is it it's a strange one, isn't it? I mean, Pienaar was obviously really comfortable at Everton. He's really, you know, he found his niche there. Absolute class player in the system that Moyes plays. I think when he went to Tottenham, there were very similar style players who were just that bit better than him. Luka Modric, etc. As for the Sahar one, I think he's the sort of player who seems to need a, a fresh challenge pretty regularly. He's also... I don't, I don't know the guy. I don't know if Rory bumped into him much at Everton, but he, he seems quite vulnerable in confidence. And uh, if Harry Redknapp had said to him, "Look, you are going to be, you are going to get your chance. You're going to be coming on alongside Adebayo. You're going to be playing um, alongside him sometimes." Then Harry knows how to inflate a character with fresh confidence. Maybe it's just that they needed a new scene. They needed a fresh start. Yeah. 
sometimes the simplest explanations perhaps are the correct ones, although certainly not the most satisfying. Uh, Everton, obviously, two big wins recently, and um, those of us who are Davy Moyes fans um, are are happy. Um, let's move to uh, to Chelsea now. Um, right. I'm interested in this fact that, like, when Abramovich appears at the at the training ground, it's kind of like seen by interpreted by us as like the vultures circling. Mm-hmm. Now, I covered Chelsea a little bit. I don't know about you. I I don't speak to Roman Abramovich. Um, sometimes in our line of work, I get to speak to people who are close to him or claim to be close to him. Uh, these people seem to interpret his his thoughts as if he was some kind of Cassandra. Um, but then he goes and does something totally different. Um, do we have any idea whether it's gone anything past the obvious, which is if Villas Boas doesn't finish in the top four, his job is in jeopardy, but actually Abramovich's presence really makes no difference? I think Abramovich's presence is probably over overinterpreted, like you say. I, I don't I don't think the fact that he's at the training ground is significant beyond the fact that his trial with Boris Borisovsky is now finished, which means he can start thinking about football again. I think that's important. Um he he will speak to to Vyas Boas, who's in charge of one of his most important investments, or certainly most publicly important investments, regularly, whether he's at the training ground or not. So I don't think that's that's particularly significant. What I think is significant is is Chelsea's form, which is two wins from the last ten, which is bad enough. It, this isn't a case of Abramovich being sort of trigger happy and a bit sort of megalomaniacal to trying to sort of w- win things constantly. Chelsea are in a rut of form, a really bad rut. I think if uh, if Napoli put Chelsea out of the Champions League I think Villas Boas goes Well it's interesting Ben because the, the, the similarities of, of Abramovich is being a trigger happy lunatic and, and whatever I actually look back and you know Mourinho, I think it's clear to anybody who followed the club, effectively sacked himself um, at the time. Um, Grant and Hiddink were clearly interim appointments. They, they weren't going to stay. Um, Scolari was objectively awful. I might, ask, I might suggest that actually, well, Scolari looked disinterested, and Villas Boas to me does not look disinterested, quite the, the contrary. I'd actually argue in some ways maybe this Chelsea side is worse than, than Scolari's side or plays worse football. Um, but all that said, it seems to me that the only sort of rash trigger sacking that he really made um, was was Ancelotti last year. Uh, am I wrong on that? I mean, does the guy really have a problem? Or do we just love to, to spin this idea of like, oh, look, it's crazy, wealthy Russian oligarch sacking everybody inside. Ha ha, let's laugh at him because we're jealous of his money and his girlfriend. No, I know, I know what you're saying. I think when you say it in those terms, I think it, it is hard to, to argue bar Ancelotti which does look like a bad mistake Villas Boas is, is clearly struggling in England I mean he came in with this big reputation this mini Mourinho reputation but uh, I think all along he's struggled with the fact that he has to try and rebuild a team with players he probably doesn't want and players who don't necessarily have the respect for him he, he deserves um, he's fighting a losing battle and you know afterwards talking to him on, on Saturday he looks like you know a man who's been ground down and, and I think as Rory says a defeat in the Champions League which we know that how much that means to Roman Abramovich. I think that would be um, would be very very hard to recover from. But there were there were tremendous individual mistakes from players who were supposed yeah, to be were. good, like yeah. Ashley Cole and yeah. stuff at the, at the weekend. Yeah. Is that something you can put down to the manager? No, I don't think it is. But I think 
what but, you, but there are other things you can legitimately put down to the manager right? I don't think he's a happy camp uh, I don't think it's been a happy well, what camp what has he done season. wrong I don't think he's done anything wrong I think you don't he, think he's made any bad decisions no, this I, year I think he came in at the beginning I give you a big I, list I think he came in at the beginning and he had a, a decision to make with the senior players did he go into the season with the guys who who are basically Mourinho's boys or did he try and rebuild a team in a few months he decided to keep faith with these guys and I think in October November he realised that was a mistake and he's now got a bunch of players who, who don't particularly like him and a bunch of and he doesn't particularly like them I think he, he needs a summer really to turn this around and I'm not sure he's going to get it I, don't, I, I think as I say if, if Napoli put them out I think that's, that's that I think there's no guarantee they'll let fourth if you look at the fixtures I would suggest that probably Liverpool and Arsenal have actually got more favourable fixtures than Chelsea although Chelsea probably have the experience that you'd want um yeah, I think Ben's right. I think he came in, he, he made the choice to stick with the, with the old guard. It's not worked. The old guard know that he's in this weird quandary where they have to play well so that he can get rid of them. That's, and that's <laughs> not a recipe um, I, I, for success. Obviously, Chelsea don't have a director of football that we know of. We just have this cloud of people who, uh, who appear to influence the, the, the owner. Now, obviously... The owner's not going to sack himself, but there must be somebody who convinced the owner that it would be a good idea to go and spend 50 million euros uh, in, in compensation to Porto to, uh, to, to get Villas Boas and to sort of wait until the end of June, early July uh, to go and do it, leaving him less time to prepare. There's got to be somebody who advised them on this. Uh, same way there was somebody who advised them on Torres. Well, we know who it was on Torres, and unfortunately, he's going to get away with it because he's a mate. But. Um, who is it? I mean, I, did, did you have any idea who told them? I mean, if you were Abramovich, I guess if I was Abramovich, I would go and I would say, I mean, I don't know, is it Ron Gurley? Is it, who are these people? I would go and I would sack these people for putting him in this position because if, as you said, he's so busy with the Berezovsky trial, he's, he's, he's doing other things and somebody comes to him, oh yeah, get this guy and then, you know, do this and that and that and don't give him power to do that and whatever. I mean, Somebody's got it. The buck has to stop with somebody here, right? Well, the, 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 the power structure of Chelsea is Ron Gourlay, the chief executive, Bruce Butt, the chairman, and Michael Amanalo, who I, I think probably occupies the post. I can't remember what his exact title is. It might be yeah, technical director. Yeah, um, yeah. Who, who occupies the post of... Right. Michael Amanalo hasn't spoken to the media since yeah. the beginning of time, yeah? yeah. Right, so is, is that... I mean, I, I, I don't know. It just strikes me that somebody's got to give answers. You can't just dump everything on Villas Boas, which is what's going to happen if he, if he does get sacked. But surely it's a, ser- it's a shared decision. It's it to me, like everybody's either blaming Villas Boas or Abramovich. There are people in between whose job it is to understand football and to. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. 
put Villas Boas in a position where he can do his job and to advise and and and, and to advise the owner on what to do. He was a very it was a very strange one in the summer because all along it was Hiddings' job. It was Hiddings' job. He was coming. It was how, can they get him out of Turkey? Can they, can they make it work? And then all of a sudden it changed, and somewhere along the line someone said, "Let's go and get AVB." The the, the talk Chelsea were, were always briefing that wasn't the case. Villas Boas himself said he wanted another season in Portugal. And then all of a sudden it changed. I don't know who made that decision. It may have been Abramovich himself. He, we we just don't know. He may have fancied this mini Mourinho and thought he's the man to fix it. Stop calling him. No, 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 he doesn't but, like no, it. no, no. I know he doesn't like it, but it's an obvious link for Abramovich to make. He reads the papers. He's gonna he's gonna but make Abramovich, that connection. You're assuming Abramovich is stupid and that every like young Portuguese manager, who, who, you know, is, is the it, mini is Mourinho. It, is like, it possible? Though? Is it possible? That's what he thought. Yeah, it's possible. Right. It's possible. Uh, I thought of it as a mini well, Ferguson too. I I mean, but it is possible that he made the mini decision Eric himself. Said. I yeah. agree, he isn't advised well, and I think people are scared of him, and maybe that's understandable. But yeah. he doesn't have someone who can tell him the truth. I don't. I don't believe he has somebody who tells him the truth at Chelsea. From a manager who uh, uh, who may be relieved of duty to one who was relieved of duty, it just happened a few a few minutes ago. Um, uh, a few minutes ago, not based on when you're listening to it. A few minutes based on it, based on when we were recording it. Um, but uh, Mick McCarthy is no longer manager of Wolves. They were beaten five one at home to uh, to West Brom. Um, Peter, you're out there. Uh, is it a knee jerk thing or was it coming? I mean, what I mean is, had they drawn one one, would he still be in a job? Do you know what? I think he would be. I, I um, Obviously, results have been terrible. You know, 14 points from 22 games or whatever. It's relegation form. The Wolves are the sort of club who have prided themselves on, you know, a, a long-term sustainability. Listening to all that Chelsea chat, you know, you're thinking, how are they ever going to build anything for the future? Which is what Wolves, with their more modest expectations, have been trying to do. Um, I think the defeat by West Bromwich Albion just means that it was a humiliation too far. Only a couple of weeks ago, the, the word from uh, the boardroom was that Wolves were going to um, see it through to the end of the season with Mick McCarthy, whether they went down or not, and that then he might well, if they did go down, would be the man who could bring them back up again. But I think the nature of the defeat by Liverpool, 3-0 at home, which is abject, when Steve Morgan then came into the changing rooms after the game and lambasted the players, not the manager, but the players for their efforts, um, then led to a bit of tension between chairman and manager. And McCarthy will have said, will you leave this to me, please? Steve Morgan's gone away on the whole day and said, right, I'm leaving it to you. It's down to you now. And it was just too humiliating to lose 5-1 at home to your local rivals. And in such a manner... I mean, in five-one, it could have been six, seven, eight. Wow. Um, it was that meant that that result has nailed the coffin. Yeah. Sometimes you have to make painful decisions uh, uh, had you if, if you were Steve Morgan you'd be a lot wealthier than you are now and you wouldn't be talking to me but would you have made that decision so the good of the club I think Mick McCarthy is a really good manager for Wolves but I think it got into a rut and um, there's there's little nuances in the dressing room that have um, not helped because he's such a man for unity and solidarity and leadership and all the rest of it all these great British characteristics I don't know I think pivotal to Wolves just going off the rails slightly and McCarthy losing his job is the replacing of Carl Henry with Roger Johnson as captain. Carl Henry embodies what Mick McCarthy's teams are about. He's non-glamorous, he does his job flipping well and um, he kept Wolves steady. When Mick McCarthy hung his hat on Roger Johnson and said, you are my captain, come in and lead this team because that's going to upgrade us. 
that just changed the dynamics of the dressing room a little bit. I don't think the other players believe in Roger Johnson the same as they do with Carl Henry. And then while Carl Henry has been out suspended for three games, balls have gone off the rails. And I think that buying a player, it turned out to be the wrong player that just unhinged balls and eventually cost McCarthy's job. What's the next step? Where, 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 where do you look? Because I've always championed, and people laughing are saying this, hey, let's look at managers who are good and up and coming in the lower divisions. Um, but is it something that's realistic for a club like Wolves or are we going to be spun this line they want the big name they want you know Kirbishley or Megson or whatever maybe not Megson but you know what I mean I think I think in terms what should of, they do in terms of whether this is a good decision to sack McCarthy or not depends on who you get to replace him so if you, why why sack McCarthy and replace him with Neil Warnock or Alan Kirbishley or Darry Medson they play the same sort of football with the same sort of success so why not replace him with Eddie Howe well, exactly. Eddie, Eddie Howe, Howe, by the way, is I don't follow the lower divisions. I trust Eddie Howe is still I think a Bur- promising manager I doing well in the lower divisions. Burnley are doing okay. There's Eddie Howe, there's Lee Clark. He'd be a fantastic appointment. Carl Robinson at MK Dons, they'd be, again, these, these are up and coming young managers. But what will happen, I'm fairly certain, and Pete will know more about this than I do, uh, is that they will go for someone who has a proven track record of failure because that's what they will, will always do. So, they so will it's Megson then? Megson or Steve Bruce. Well, that's exactly it. I mean, why, why sack a guy who knows the players? Fair enough, they haven't played for him this weekend. You've got, you've got three months of a season left someone's got to come in and try and get them out of trouble and the odds say that they're going to go down now whoever they bring in they might get a few games out of them but can they really be expected to save Wolves with the players that Mick's been using I don't, I don't see it I just don't see it why so they're then, better managers than Mick yeah, yeah of course there are but would you have made the change Gab or would, would you I mean would you make the change and feel that you can get them out of trouble I, I'm all for giving other people a chance. I would like some imagination in the appointment and looking at you know the history of English football, which until about 10, 15 years ago has been about you know using the lower divisions as a proving ground for, for talent and give somebody a crack. Um, don't sign them up to a long contract, but you know bring somebody in, see if he can manage, uh, see how he can do. Sometimes sometimes that's what it takes. But if hey, if you want to go back to the Steve Bruce, Megson, Kirbishley, uh, nothing uh, wrong with those people. But yeah, yeah. They are not, let's face it, those managers are, um, as they are in their stage in their careers now, they're no better than what Mick McCarthy is. All they are is a fresh voice. So Neil Warnock, if he came in, I mean, Neil Warnock's great for a quote. He's full of life and energy and everything. But is he a better tactician than Mick McCarthy? No, I don't think he is. So all Wolves can hope to get if they make that sort of change is the, the fresh voice impetus. Now, Wolves have got a decent squad. If you're talking lower half of the premiership, Wolves have got some quality in Doyle and Jarvis and Fletcher and people like that. They are decent players. So a fresh voice might get them the two or three wins to give them the confidence that means they stay up. But if you go into a new season with someone like Neil Warnock or Gary Megson in charge, is the long term really any rosier? I don't oh, think that it is. Exactly. I, mean, I, 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 I think... Yeah, but Gab, sorry, but if you now go in and give... I mean, blimey, look at Lambert and Rogers now. But if you go and give a young... An ed- or an Nigel Adkins, you know, a lower division manager who's done very well, the job at Wolves now, there's no guarantee that they will have the presence to keep them up. I, 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 I've never bought this presence argument. Your boss is your boss. You know, you still got to earn respect at every level, and you earn it through your methods. I, I thought Sean O'Driscoll, for example, was yeah. very good before the before the evil empire took over that club. There are intelligent, English, progressive English managers out there who are not given a chance because of the old boy network. And the only way you can break in is if you get promoted to the Premier League. I hope people take it, you know, to take the opportunity to learn a little bit about Rogers and Megson and their experience. And of course, and Roger 
Rodgers, by the way, also had an awful spell at one of his earlier clubs, too, and then showed that he's actually a pretty good manager and everybody wants him. Uh, let's move on from a manager who has been sacked uh, and, and a manager who may be sacked at some point to a manager who I think it's safe to say will not be sacked in the very near future. Uh, and that's Harry Redknapp. Um, since we were last on, Fabio Capello is no longer the England manager. Um, officially, he's resigned. I personally don't think he has. I think he was pushed. I think the FA handled it terribly, but we're not here to go and uh, uh, rehash all that. Uh, there is a possibility England might be better off, but I want to get you guys on on Redknapp um, because there's one thing, one pet peeve of mine. Whenever people talk up Redknapp in this country, whether it's for the England job or for Spurs, they always make the same points about, look, you know, his enthusiasm and he gives people self-belief and all this stuff. And that's, that's all great. It kind of ties in slightly with what Roy was saying earlier. Um, a few years ago, we did a podcast on this. I, Guillaume Balaguer and I spent sort of three, four hours in Redknapp's kitchen in that house in, uh, in Sandbanks when he just talked about football and Greenwood and the academy. And he took out bits of paper and drew little diagrams. And I got the sense that this is somebody who actually has a lot of tactical nows, which is very rarely talked about. And I look at his teams, and sometimes Spurs play very attractive, well-organized football, uh, attacking football. Sometimes they defend very well. It seems to me like this guy's got, you know, he may have other weaknesses, but there's actually a football brain there. Why do we so rarely talk about it? Is it just because the whole Cockney side of things is so overbearing, Ben? I, I think it is. I think uh, I think people judge a book by its cover, and you think here's a, a crafty Cockney who can get the boys up for a, a good old game out in the park, and, and you think, you know, probably not a lot there. He can give them a, a good old team talk and send them out with a bit of oomph, and hopefully that'll be enough. But the reality is a good manager who's, who's done well at the top level is, has got to have a bit more about him than that. I think Harry Harry is clever. I think against Liverpool, you saw, you know, they came very solid, defended extremely well, knew what he he wanted to come and, and take a point, and that's what they went away with. It was, it was a good example of how flexible he can be. Peter, are, are we so shallow that we we just look at the outsized character and that you know, if, if Harry Redknapp spoke in complete sentences the way Martin O'Neill does, we might think that he's actually very clever. I mean, I don't think anybody. Be, I, you hear the word intelligent, for example. Um, people say O'Neill's intelligent, and he undoubtedly is. But with Redknapp, I don't think I've ever heard the word intelligent you know, put next to him. It's more crafty, clever, and, and whatever. Is it our fault that we can't judge his body of work without somehow judging the individual? Yeah, it is, isn't it? Because intelligence in terms of whether you've been to Belfast University or whether you've got the street wisdom of Harry, Harry Redknapp are two different things. There's, there's football intelligence, and if you're going to be a good manager, you've got to have that. It's just, I think, Redknapp has got this, this man management thing about him that knows how to say the right thing at the right time, as O'Neill has. And by the way, Gab, you mentioned O'Neill before I did this show. Yeah, I did, yes. <laughs> but, um, but I think he's got that ability to say the right thing at the right time. And like you said about the, or was it Ben who said about the flexibility? I mean, Redknapp is just fantastic at knowing and having the bravery of when to switch. It's just, it's intuitive though, Okay, so this is a, a, an audio podcast, um, but I can tell you that uh, Rory K. Smith is uh, uh, pulling faces. Uh, we're all for debate here. Uh, are, are you are you going to humbly and respectfully dissent from our uh, celebration of Harry? No, I was trying to work out if that was Pete's windscreen wipers it, or his indicator. I, I thought it was a windscreen wiper, yeah. It's windscreen wipers. I'm in Wolverhampton, therefore it is raining. <laughs> 
There you go. I think with Harry, he plays up to the image. I think the people around him play up to the image. And I genuinely don't know, having spoken to people on Spurs' coaching staff, how much tacti- how much tactical work do they do? I don't think they do a lot. I, I, think- don't, I don't think they do a lot. I mean, we, Van der Vaart gave that great quote yeah. saying we have a clipboard in the, in the dressing room, Harry never uses it. And, and you know, they're thrilled with that. But the, the twel- so I how did, was he able to trick me and Balagay? Were we, were we just gullible and stupid? Maybe we're not exactly as stupid as you think you are. Maybe. Maybe we're just enthralled by the ridiculous house the man lives in. It, it was the crafty Cockney charm that exactly. got you. I think he you were blinded you. by it. The greatest trick the devil ever Paul Gap was convinced <laughs> the world he didn't exist. <laughs> Clearly. Uh, anyway, are the, uh, are the red app issues, it's going to obviously resolve itself uh, one way or another. Um, I'll leave you with this thought. I think right now, if you're, if you're Daniel Levy, uh, you are the happiest man in the world. Maybe even happier than, than Harry because you're either going to keep a manager who's going to do, who's doing very, very well or you're going to get an absurd amount of money for it. And, um, as for David Bernstein, I don't know who he answers to, or if maybe if it's his, if it's little buddy Alex Horn. But um, I see dark storm clouds ahead for the FA because I think somebody's going to make them pay. Time now for your favorite part of the program. It's quick hits. Louis Saha scores twice as Tottenham annihilate Newcastle five one. Um, Rory, I know he's had injuries, uh, but hindsight being twenty twenty, uh, it's not really the cleverest move by Everton to let him go, was it? For a man who spends most of his life complaining, he never has any strikers. David Moyes has made two fairly spectacular errors of judgment this year. Yakubu being one, who he basically ostracised from Everton. Saha looking like the other. What I would say is that Saha always stores goals in bursts. He's had a great start. It won't last. Oh, there you go. No faith in Sahaba. Hey, enjoy Velios and Strakulursi. You would think that if you lose 1-0 against the league leaders and have uh, two great chances to win at the end, yeah, you might get some love from your fans, at least a little bit of love. But uh, Alex McLeish was crucified again by the Villa faithful at the weekend. Uh, Lansley, is the criticism fair? And please tell me they're not just having a go because McLeish is a bit of a blue nose. I don't think the criticism is fair. I think Villa fans should wise up to the fact that they've lost four England players. Okay, for big money over the last couple of years and that this is now a period of transition in which they see whether Gary Gardner and Kieran Clark and co are good enough for the Premier League and to take the club forward and sadly I think a lot of it is to do with McLeish being perceived as a blue nose but he's not just a blue nose is he he's a he's a graduate of the Sir Alex Ferguson school and he's a Scott made out of granite and he's much more that than he is a blue nose Manchester City kept their lead intact in that Villa game. Uh, Roberto Mancini even suggested that uh, Carlos Tevez could be welcomed back into the fold. Uh, Ben, since we clearly haven't talked about the subject enough, let's talk about it again. Uh, Is this a good idea and is it going to happen? Looks like it's going to happen. He's due to arrive in Manchester on Tuesday, back at training on Tuesday. Is it a good idea? It, it has a potential recipe for disaster if, if Tevez is a disruptive influence. But if it's on Mancini's terms, if Tevez comes back on Mancini's terms, then he still has a lot to contribute. And it may just push his transfer fee up in the summer as well. By the way, uh, Manchester City's John Guidetti, who's uh, eligible for about 17 different countries, has scored something like 88 goals in the last nine games, something stupid like that. Might want to consider that too for the future if you're a City fan. Thierry Henry scored a dramatic winner for Arsenal in a 2-1 victory over Sunderland. Uh, He'll play against Milan in the Champions League and then head back to Major League Soccer. Rory, if you're so inclined, please pay tribute to the great man in 30 seconds or less. Yeah, Major League Soccer is rapidly becoming sort of a nursery for for Premier League talent, isn't it? Robbie Keane's doing okay at Villa. Henri is, is 
impressed at Arsenal. This is not a tribute to Henri. You're, you're talking about MLS. We'd like a tribute to Henri. Yeah, you, the words can't describe him. He's a, a superb human being and, and my hero in, in many ways. No, I think he's been great for Arsenal. I think it's been, given them a, a little bit of a lift psychologically. He's not the player he was, but he's, he's had an impact. That I would say that the two-month deal has worked, uh, but I would add to that the caveat that Arsenal really need a long-term goal-storing solution, and he is not it on the rounds that he's 34. Clearly, given uh, your words of love for Thierry Henry, you don't have a single drop of Irish blood in you. Peter Odenvingi nails a hat-trick as West Brom demolish uh, Wolves in the Black Country Derby. Uh, Lansley, um, West Brom, five goals. Roy Hodgson, who'd have thunk, huh? It's, uh, it's an amazing effort on, on the road from West Brom, isn't it? I think that's um, 13 points in the last six games, and uh, it's up there with Arsenal and Tottenham, their away form. Home form, not quite so impressive, of course. They do like to counter-attack. They play with pace from the flanks. Odden Thingy has found his mojo again. They know how to keep the ball beautifully. All credit to them. They were brilliant on Sunday. It was one of those uh, relegation six-pointers between Wigan and Bolton, and uh, Wigan won two one away uh ben even if wigan go down should somebody pick up roberto martinez um or am i just sort of excessive and gushing in my love for him and if so who should who would be who would be good for martinez i really like martinez and i think he's a smart manager i think wigan may end up going down which which would be sad but i think he could do he could do a great job somewhere else same always went to spurs perhaps everton there we go. There you go. Brush up on your scouse, Roberto. Dab, one for you. Uh, Zambia are champions of Africa, winning a dramatic shootout with some perfect penalties against the Ivory Coast last night. Why are people so excited about this story? Have you not read the papers in the past week? Or listen to the radio? It's a rhetorical question. Well, Rory, and I know you know, because like me, you're an enthusiast for foreign football. Um... I mean, this is this this is Hollywood stuff. Obviously, uh, Zambia went into the tournament. Basically, their their entire the best player, Chris Katongo, plays in China. Um, they've got two guys uh, in Europe. One of them in the Russian second division. One of them uh, a, a young boy, Mayuva. Um, they went into this tournament with almost no expectations, and uh, and they played, I think, some of the best football in the tournament. But more importantly, of course, uh, this was the 19th anniversary of um, of the tragic plane crash which killed uh, all but three members of the Zambian national team back in uh, 1993. And by the way, that was a national, Zambian national team which had done so well uh, at the um, at the Olympics before that. And uh, the plane crashed just off the coast of, of Gabon, where they actually won this tournament. Um, from Ivory Coast perspective, I think you got to give them some credit too because they played. Phenomenal tournament for the first time in a while. They went with uh, an African coach rather than uh, um, you know sort of a high-priced Ericsson type uh, you know rent a manager. And Francois Zahi, he did something that the previous guys weren't able to do. They were disciplined. They were organized. Um, they tried to wear down the opponents. But in this game, I thought destiny was evidently on Zambia's side. Came to the most dramatic of penalty shootouts. If you get a chance, check it out on YouTube. I mean, the Zambians were were, were singing during the the, the, um, the shootout. Um, Wene, the um, Zambian goalkeeper, you know, saves a penalty, does the cool John Cena sign, and goes and uh, uh, converts a penalty of, of his own. Uh, interesting lesson here to be learned, uh, English people who are all hung up on penalties. Bottle is crucial because uh, the 
the big star. When it came down for Ivory Coast to take the penalties, it was really interesting. Drogba had missed one in, in the 90 minutes. Um, Drogba took the fifth penalty. But the other so-called big sca- big stars, Gervinho and uh, and Colo Toure, they didn't go. They, they only went later because uh, um, the, the matter wasn't settled in the first five penalty kicks. And you could even see or, uh, you could even see the um, Francois Zahi had to go and shout at Gervinho to get him to take the penalty. Uh, absolutely amazing. Uh, high drama and, um, and a tremendous story. I know that I know that was too long, but you know, too much <laughs> the show. We should have done more on this. That's all we've got time for this week. But remember, you can always follow us on www.thetimes.co.uk. You'll find your news, your gossip, your analysis, our web chats. I didn't do mine uh, last week. Bad, gab, bad. But uh, I will be doing one this week on a Tuesday. Rory, do you do web chats? I do. I, I was meant to do one today, but didn't. So I'll do one at some point in the near future. Okay, let's not keep saying this because it makes us all look bad and unprofessional. Uh, I invite you to follow Ollie Kay's web chats because he's professional and his web chats are easily the best at the times. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter. I'm on there at Marcotti. Uh, ben, you're at Ben Smith Times. I am. And Rory? At Rory Smith Times. How imaginative. Uh, so hit us up there. Otherwise, catch us next week. Bye-bye. 